we are a light, friends. Your name, living hope, you are spoken of uh, by other churches. I heard from the International Mission Board president this week uh, talking about the example that this congregation is uh, to, to the nations. And, and not only here in the U.S., but around the world as other churches are seeking to raise up leaders, send resources, and to be in partnerships. And that's what the Bible reveals, and that's, that's what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And so I want to encourage you to engage, to be a part of it. And again, this is not meant to be a theoretical study this year, this whole life in the kingdom of God. This is a practical study and a way of life that God has called us to. And so as we're now talking about what it means to be the people of the kingdom of God, we need to understand that this is not happen chance that you're sitting here today. This is not just, you know, something that went your way by coincidence. No, friends, understand if you are a born-again believer, Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago that you would be. He said, Jesus prayed for me? Yes. Go and read John chapter 17, and you will read that Jesus was praying for you who had not yet believed, that you would believe, that you would be a part of this life, that you would become the people of God. I love the way Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's on the screen. That you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What we're doing now is we're studying portions of the book of Acts to understand what we have as the people of the kingdom of God. And today we're gonna to talk about the fact that we have God's boldness. We have God's boldness to, to live out his plan. God's plan is bold. God's love is bold. God's salvation is bold. He takes people who were separated and on their own and dead to him, who, who did not love him, and he transforms us. He makes us, us into his people who love him and love one another and then take that love into the world and shine the light in the darkness. This is miraculous. This is bold. This is powerful. And we are called to be a part of it. And we have this as God's people. And that's what our text is going to show us today. How it is we pray and live in God's boldness. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter, 20, uh, chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 29. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Gracie's going to read for us. So Gracie, if you would, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. The section we're going to look at is a portion of the prayer that the early church was praying in light of the persecution that they were facing. So this is just a portion of the, the, of the entirety of that prayer that we're going to give attention to. It begins in verse 29. Gracie, read that for us. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grace. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. So at this point in the story of, of Acts, Jesus has, has died. He, he was not yet raised when he met with the, the apostles to tell them that the Holy Spirit was coming. And in chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, G, uh, Jesus, uh, having ascended, sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches. 3,000 souls were saved and were added to the church. 
And then in chapters three and four, we see the church living out what it means to be the church, to be loving, to be kind, to be compassionate, to see the, the power of God transform lives and, and heal what is broken and, and, and give hope to the hopeless. This is what God does. This is the bold plan that he has. And the leaders of the day became threatened. So the religious institutions that wanted to have power and the people of power became threatened by the church and so they began to persecute the church. They began to harm the people of the church and the leaders of the church. And so the church prays and they sought to live with boldness. You'll see it twice in that little prayer in just those little verses. Boldness, let us have boldness. What, what is boldness? Let me give you an easy definition. This is from John Bloom. I pulled this from an article he wrote. I recommend it to you. Uh, you can Google it. Uh, but I just wanted to pull out this definition I, I, I find helpful. Boldness is acting. Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. I love that definition because it speaks to the fact that boldness is acting. It's not presumption, it's, it's not posturing, it's not pontificating, it's doing. It's, it's doing something because the need is urgent. There's, there's something wrong and we can't fix it, so we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need what only God can do because what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so we, we are to, to join God in what he's doing, to act in the power of the Holy Spirit and understand that the need is urgent and sometimes dangerous. We here in the United States, we're, we're going to see the danger increase. Praying and talking with, with some, some folks today from our congregation, the things uh, that I'm going to make mention of, they ask for prayer because of the persecution that they are experiencing on the university campus and the, and the local school systems. Uh, in their workplaces because th the darkness is now pressing down because it's threatened by, by the truth of what, what God has provided. Now, again, that, that danger is nothing compared to what some of our partners deal with. Every year when we begin to talk about the gift for Christ and we begin to talk about the work of our partners, I'm always humbled and I hope that you are too. As you see uh, the national partners and the international work that's taking place and, and in the situations they find themselves. Uh, I think about in particular, I was praying this week for Mark and Parker Phillips. Uh, many of you uh, know them. Some of you met them this summer for the first time. Mark was was our student pastor for a number of years when God called him and, and Parker to go overseas to West Africa. And they've been there now for uh, almost 15 years. And they've been faithful. And, and what they're facing right now is, is, is a very, very difficult time. Uh, I put some statistics on the, on the screen just to give you a sense of it. We learned this this summer. Of the 25 million people, less than 0.2% are Christian. Most are Muslim, most are just pagan. It's the 19th least reached uh, country in the world. It's the sixth least uh, reached in the continent of Africa. Uh, th there's one church for every 125,000 people. It's a very dark place. It's a very difficult place. I mean, here's the stat. I mean, the, look, at the second, look at that second page. Out of 189 countries, it's ranked as 189 of the most difficult place to live on the planet. It's a hard place. It's, 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 it's hot, it's dry, it's, it's desolate. One in 20 die before they reach their first birthday. Three in four cannot read. 
And yet the birth rate is 6.9. So you think about that, ladies. How many children they have and then how many die and, and how sad and painful that is. What, what's, what's frightening is not only that they live on less than $1.50 a day, but look at the statistics. 51%, over half of the population is under the age of 14. 75% is, is what, under the age of 25. Where are the adults? They're dying. They're dying of malaria. They're dying of, a, of, of something that would cost us about 75 cents uh, to, to be able to give help to, but they don't have the resources for that. Many are dying also because of persecution, because Al-Qaeda and, and other dangerous groups are moving in. There are, if you'll notice on that third page, one in 40 are IDPs, internally disposed people. They've lost their family. They have no place to call home. They just wander. They, they have no hope in the world. They have no identity. They don't have anyone that's guiding them. They're just getting by. And in the meantime, the jihadists are attacking if you look at the, at the map there, red zone 2010 versus 2022, I was there in 2010. And in 2010, we were able to go into villages. As a matter of fact, there was a family that was going to one of the villages. And one of the reasons why I had gone over there was to meet with this chief and, and to ask his permission for this couple to live in their village for the three years they would be there. We exchanged gift and it was a ceremony and he promised to protect and to provide for that family while they were there. And, and they spread the gospel all over that area. I, I was in an, in an area as Iru and I remember, I remember this change of heart that happened instantaneously as the brother was praying. We were about to leave we were about to head back and we were there in this village and, and this brother was, was praying for us and he was talking about these brave men and these courageous men. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then he said, because Al-Qaeda has been watching us all week long. And suddenly my eyes opened and I wanted to make eye contact with our missionary partners. What Al-Qaeda and who and why have they been watching us and what kind of danger we were in. I was not so courageous after all. You know, we can't even get into that village anymore. We'd be kidnapped and killed. We'd be sold. But we can't get outside the city. But you know who can? Our partners. The national partners. And what we have are national partners going into some of the most dangerous and painful and difficult places on the planet because there is a boldness. There is an understanding of the need and the power of the Holy Spirit. They are acting and they are on the move. And God calls us that same Holy Spirit that, that same loving God who has brought us into the, the family, into the kingdom of God, he's calling us to experience and to live in that boldness, in God's boldness. And our text has a lot to say about that. Fourth thing I would encourage you to write down and to remember, and the first is this. God's people with God's boldness pray in light of their struggles. In light of their struggles. Great thing about being a Christian, you don't have to lie to yourself. You don't have to be deceived. You can call it what it is. You can call reality for what it is. You can see it for what it is. The church in Jerusalem, they knew the danger they were in and they prayed in light of it. And we as believers who, who believe the Bible, we understand the human race is a fallen race. We're in a fallen world. We're being sought and we're hated by a fallen enemy who is powerful. And there's every reason for us to be very aware of the danger that we are in, the, the struggles that we are facing. But we also know we have a gracious God who has restored us with hope. And he have a, we have a king who guides us. And so we're mindful of the threats, but we're confident in God's power. 
And we need to pray as these people prayed. Notice what, what, what they did. First of all, notice how they said, look, Lord, Lord, look. Look, this word does not mean just to get an apprehension of, 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 of visibility. It is a call to action. A friend of mine uh, some time ago had a discrepancy on an account and he called the company and he said, I need you to look at this. What he was not doing is what he was not saying, hey, I need you to verify that the information is correct. What he was saying was, I need you to fix this. I need you to get involved. And this is what the early church was doing. They were saying, Lord, engage, get involved. Why? Because of, notice the pronouns there, their threats. Their threats. Understand their, that pronoun means others. There's, there's an us and them. I know what the world says. I know the world says there's two kinds of people. They're the people who love Neil Diamond and those who don't. I get that. And young people, if you don't know who Neil Diamond is, Google him and you'll make a decision and you'll fall within those distinctions. I get that. But really what the Bible teaches is there are two kinds of people. There are those who are born again and those who are dead in sin. There are those who are family of God and there are those who are enemies of God. And, and these people were praying, Lord, King, Father, look, take, engage, take, take a look and, and get involved because of their threats, because those who are far from you, they're working and we need you to work. It's, it's always liberating to pray that way. It's always so liberating to pray knowing that you are under the authority of God. As, as a little child, this is 1 John 4, 4. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But we can be so easily deceived into thinking, oh, I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm smart enough. I don't need a local church. I don't need to trust in God. I don't have to pray to God. I don't have to study his word. I'm strong. I got my salvation in my back pocket. I can, I can care for myself. I can take care of whatever is needed. And friends, we are deceived. We, we are made, we were made by God to live under his authority. And a human being is never happier than when they are living under the authority of God and living under the authorities of others who love God. So mom and dad, make your children happy and be godly parents and remind them consistently that they are under your authority and provide godly authority so that when they give consideration as to whether or not they're going to follow God or not, they have good reason because of your example to want to follow God. There is nothing harder than to lead a person who was raised in church, who had hypocritical parents, who, who claimed to be Christians on the outside, but at home were, were living miserable lives to, to, to help that child or that person, even an adult, come to saving faith because they're not buying it. Mom and dad, remind your children that they are under your authority and give them godly authority. And here's why you need to do it. You need to do it not only for their sake, but for yours. You know, here, mom and dad, here, you need to remind your children of this. And I've always done this with our children. Remind them they are leaving. Tell them all the time, you're leaving. They need to know they're leaving, okay? And they need to leave. And when they leave, they need to leave knowing that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's their job, if God blesses them with, with, with children, that your grandchildren are meant to be godly people who know Jesus Christ. And you've got to prepare them for this. 
You got to tell parents, please tell your children, I'm preparing you. You're leaving. You've got to go. And, and, and it's not easy, mom and dad. Listen, we, we saw Jackson married off last week, our second. And it's so, it's so strange to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't even tear up at McKenzie's wedding. All right. And, and, and here's why. Because I knew I would be tempted to. So you know what I did? I prepared myself. I said, I'm not making eye contact with anybody. I'm getting in there. I'm doing the vows. I'm saying the stuff and I'm getting out before anybody gets mushy. We'll cry later. We got a job to do. So I didn't cry at Kenzie's wedding because I was prepared. Jackson's, I thought, it's a boy. Who cares? <laughs> As his bride came down, my son Jackson, as he tells the story, he says, I'm standing there. I see her coming and I hear... And I look over and there's dad just crying like a big, I was not prepared for this. I knew he was leaving. I wanted him to leave. Listen, he's off the payroll. Can I get an amen, right? That's good. That's good. And, and, but it was just, and so mom and dad don't, it's not easy for them to leave. It's not like, you know, it's a comfortable, it's, it's hard to watch them leave, but they got to go. Make sure they go loving the Lord and make sure they go ready to raise up the next generation who will love the Lord. Have them under your authority. Guide them in truth authentically and help them realize that this is God's way. And because we're under God the Father and because we're citizens of the kingdom of God under his power, we now have a responsibility to send that on to the next generation, realizing it is going to be a struggle, realizing it's not going to be difficult, but we have reason to have hope. And it's because of our experience. That's the second thing to write down and remember. God's people with God's boldness pray in light of their experiences. And that's one of the great strengths about being a member of a local church. Not just having your name on a roll, but being actively involved. You know, smart people, smart people learn from their experiences. Wise people learn from other people's experiences. And one of the great things that happens in a local church is that we get to learn from one another. And we get to talk about the experiences of the power of God that's at work. We get to see miracles all the time. We get to see the, the hand of God. So look what they prayed. They said, Lord, look, look at what they're doing. And then look, verse, the last part of verse 29, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They've already experienced Jesus Christ. They've already experienced what it is to stand for him. They've been gathering in the temple courts. They've been loving one another. They, they've been trusting in the power of Jesus. They've seen him give them new life. They, they've seen them, him heal in his name. They've seen them form into community. Their, their focus, it, it was not on comfort. It was on mission. They, they knew that this was difficult, but they had this experience that, that God had changed their life. You know what I love about Living Hope? I mean, just today, today, we've had three people make public profession of their saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. Praise God. Praise God. Listen, every time someone's saved, it's a miracle, but especially, especially kids who are raised in church. See, not being raised in church, in the darkness, it was easy for me to see the light. When you're raised in the light, it's easy to assume the light. Well, I've already got the light. I've always believed in Jesus. I've always, no, no, no. There's something that is to happen. There is to be a supernatural experience where you're born again so that you repent and believe the gospel. And every time it happens, it warms my heart. And it reminds me that God is alive, that God is at work. And this is the will of God. 
Even more than that is we get to see and experience the miracles of others. Talking to a dear brother who last week was in the hospital. This morning he's teaching Sunday school. Last week he had a stroke. This morning he's teaching children. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. How does this happen? To the praise of our God, that's how this happens. Because God answers prayer. And as God's people are faithful, and as we share these experiences, there is hope, there is joy, there is life. This church, I want you to notice what they didn't pray for. Look, look at back at verse 29. Notice they did not pray for God to change their circumstances. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's other places in Scripture where people do. But notice here, they didn't say, God, change our circumstances. They said, God, change us. Give us boldness in this defining difficult moment. In the midst of the struggle that you see, Lord, that we're asking you to engage in, now we're calling upon this power that we've experienced to be at work in our world. And they sought to be on mission. They've already had the experience of speaking the word. Look what they're asking for, to continue to speak the word. Don't change the world, change us. And in changing us, change the world as we speak the truth because of the experience we've had and, and then see the power of God. That's the third thing. God's people with God's boldness pray in light of God's power. There is a power to God that, that, is, that is completely unique to him. My signature verse, if you ever get a, a note or a letter from me that's handwritten or, or even typed, a lot of times you'll see, uh, and if you've ever gotten one and you've wondered, what was that scribble? That was Luke 18, 27. That was an LK 18 colon 27. And that says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. There are things we can, can you want to praise him for that? You can do that, Chris. He wants, he wants us to praise him. And so there's this power. So, so they're, they're, they're aware of their circumstances. They're, they're mindful of their experiences. They're praying for God to change them. But look at what they're looking at. Look what they're seeing in verse 30. They're saying, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were seeing God at work. We're seeing God at work. We're seeing the power of God at work. We're seeing leaders raised up and go to the ends of the earth. We're seeing young people saved. We're seeing people of all ages saved. A, a, a lady uh, today whose, whose age I'm not allowed to repeat, but she was saved and baptized because of the power of God. Friends, be aware of it. Praise God for it. Live in it. Have this boldness and, and, and that's the last thing, live in it. Don't just pray in it. No, number four, write it down and remember. God's people with God's boldness live in light of God's spirit. Verse 31, is there so much here? Let's just look real quick. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. There was a shaking. There was something supernatural that was happening. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This church was spirit-filled. This is a people that were being led by the spirit of God. And as they were praying, God began to shake things up. There was a revelation of the power of God. Friends, do you get the sense that we're living in the days where God's shaking things up? Do you get the sense, you know, it's, it's as though for the last, I don't know, 
century or, or certainly the last couple of decades, there's been a message uh, that has basically said, ignore the man behind the curtain. He, has, he is of no consequence. But God is now, he's shaking things up. And, and we who believe, we who are in the light, we who know the truth of God's word, we're able to actually see what's happening because God is shaking things up. Think about what we're able to see right now, what, what's being put in front of us in plain sight. We're seeing people ignore science. Just flat out ignore it, deny it. And, and look, I, I know I'm, I'm going to get canceled. I'm sure that, you know, that, that you know, something's going to be said, but I'm just going to say it. Men cannot get pregnant. It's a fact. Now, I know somebody's upset about that. But guys, it's, I'm right, right? It, this is just basic science, right? So what, what's happening? They're ignoring science. They're just basically making stuff up. You know, if a person thinks they are something, then that means that they are. That's, that's ignored. That's, God is shaking things up and we're actually, they're saying the secret stuff out, out loud. They're, they're actively creating confusion. They're ignoring history. They're ignoring it. They're, they're ignoring science. They're ignoring history. Over, over the duration of humanity, the, the world and the flesh has always said that you can find fulfillment in four ways. If you're new here, uh, here are the four idols, the things that are always going to seek to draw you away from God. If you've been here, you've heard this before. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. Here's the new line, though. They're saying that our generation is smart enough. When we get the power, we'll know what to do with it. When we get the pleasure, we'll actually be finally satisfied. It'll be our generation that knows what to do with those possessions. You know, those other people, they didn't know what to do with them. You'll know what to do because you're so much smarter and you're so much better. You know what they're telling? Ignore history. I ignore it. Pretend it, it didn't happen. Pretend that, that, that Marxism and communism has succeeded even though it's never has. And let's continue to use this theory. Right now, our, our, our schools are being encouraged to teach critical theory. And it would be fine if it was a theory, but here's what we need to understand. Critical law theory, critical race theory, it's not being taught as a, as a theory, it's being used as a weapon. And they're not even hiding it anymore. So for some of you that are not familiar with this, let me explain to you critical theory, how this works. What you have to do is you have to find someone that you can get everybody mad at, okay? Critical theory, so critical race theory. Let's find, some, let's find a race and let's get mad at them. The, 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 what did the Germans use? Well, they used the Jews. Let's get mad at them and let's get after them because they're the problem. So what do they do? They create hate against these people and they go and they, they seek to destroy these people and then there's a new power. Well, then that new power, that Nox, th th those Nazis, th they became the problem, right? So we, gotta, we need to kill these. We gotta take them out. What happens? Well, whoever killed them, they become the next enemy. So what, is it, what happens in critical theory? There's always someone to hate. There's always someone to hate. And here's what is being taught in our school systems. You should be ashamed of yourself and you should hate someone else. You should hate yourself or you should hate whoever we've decided needs to be hated today. And that's why there's so much division and destruction because this is not a theory, it's a tool. 
You say, well, what are we supposed to do? Here, here, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says what we need is the gospel. You know what the gospel does? The gospel does not hate. The gospel loves. It doesn't create disunity. It creates unity. It creates love. Instead of hating, we love because we've been forgiven. We forgive because we've been loved. We love because we weren't, once were not a people. Now we are God's people. Doesn't matter what color you are, what you have or don't have. We're, we're all at the equal footing of the cross. And it's the gospel of God that will bring healing and hope to a culture and to a society. That's the only hope. We've got to wake up. And we need to be bold in our assertions to this. And so in your workplace, as you're in school, as people are trying to tell you this tool, don't believe the lie. Understand, they're, they're showing you. Ignore science. Ignore history. Ignore conscience. See, here's the problem. The devil always goes too far. He can't help itself. The, the, sin always takes you further than you intended to go, always costs you more than you wanted to pay, and always gives you less than what it promised. And so now what's happening is the devil, he's gone too far for, for some of us, those of us who know the word of God. And so now there's beginning to be an uprising. We gotta be careful with this because our goal is not power. Our, our goal is love. But what we have is now a society that says, it's not enough that you be tolerant of people that think differently than you. Now you must give up your conscience. And you now must celebrate the very sin that they are committing. If not, you're hateful. We're being told to forget our conscience. Hey, when you walk into this office building, when you walk into this school, when you walk onto this university campus, what you believe doesn't matter. What matters is what we say is normative. And we're saying that this sin is normative and acceptable. And if you disagree, you're out. You will be canceled. Your name will be taken off of buildings. You will not be allowed to speak. You will not be trusted. You will be looked down upon. This is what the enemy was doing. This is what the enemy is doing. And friends, things are being shaken up. And guess what we get to do? Is we get to say, yep, that's exactly what God said. We have to choose. Are we going to live by the flesh? And, and that's what our society is doing. And we shouldn't be angry with them. This is what they know. And remember, there's us and them. Those of the kingdom of God and those of the kingdom of darkness. Those who are of the family of God and those who are enemies of God. There's us and them. And if you don't have Christ, all you have is the flesh. And the mantra of the flesh is if I want it and if it feels good to me, it must be good. And if you say it's not good, you're evil. We've got to wake up and realize that we're being called by the power of the Spirit to be distinct and, and to be bold. I, I think Romans 8 spells it out as clean as, as anything. Any verse, verse five, I'm gonna put this on the screen for you. The distinction between the flesh and the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We are being called to be bold in proclaiming life and peace. And that only comes through the gospel. That only comes by the power of God as we pray and as we proclaim this truth. And friends, that is our task. Can you do it? See, if you're not a Christian, you can't. All you can do is live for the flesh. 
But if you are born again, you can live in the spirit and you can have life and peace. Some of you today, you need to stay and you need to talk to someone about having life and peace in Christ alone because what you're pursuing will not satisfy. Your soul is too heavy and it's eternal and nothing created has the power to carry the weight of that soul or to fill it. Only God can and he will with his love and his forgiveness, but you must receive him. Some of you, you're here, your brothers and sisters in Christ, Friends, we need to be bold. That doesn't mean to be rude. That means to be lovingly bold with the truth that others may know. And that is our task. Let's pray towards that end. Let's stand together. Carolers, if you would, come forward. Father God, we, we thank you for what you call us to because what you call us to is good and best. What you've provided in the gospel is the, is the only source of healing that humanity has Jesus, you alone, because there is no other name in heaven or on earth in which any of us can be saved. It's in you, Lord Jesus, and it's, it's in the kingdom of God that we have life. So I pray, Father, for some today who've not yet experienced that life to repent and believe the gospel and be saved and come and talk to someone here about what that means. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, we would be like that early church and that we would pray for boldness that we would see that you're shaking things up so that we can see, so that we can be bold and we can bear down with the truth and the love that you've given us in Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you to do this for your glory and our blessing and we, and we, and we now praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.